Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Vodcast, presented to you by the Vodhar Abanam of Queens. Hello again, everybody. This is Rabbi Chaim Schwartz of the Vodhar Abanam of Queens and host of the Vodcast. This week, we have a fascinating interview with Queens District Attorney Melinda Katz, someone who is no stranger to our community. Melinda Katz was the previous borough president for Queens. She also represented many of the from neighborhoods in the New York City Council, District 29. And this is a fascinating interview. We cover a lot of topics, including bail reform, anti-Semitism, COVID-19, and I think you'll find it very interesting. Enjoy. As promised, we have the Honorable District Attorney of Queens, Melinda Katz. Good afternoon, Melinda. Good afternoon, Actually, good afternoon, Madam District Attorney. (laughs) You can call me whatever you'd like. Got to respect the position. Thank you very much for taking out your time, your very valuable time, and uh, for what you do for our borough, for talking to us today. It is my pleasure always for you, Rabbi, and for the community and for all that you represent. Okay, Thanks so, for the work you do, by the way. Hey, thank you. We appreciate that. So can I tell a little story? You can tell a little story. All right. So on August 1st, 2007 was my first day at the VOD. I don't know if you remember this. I do remember it very well. Okay. I came in and, uh, uh, yes. the Sipperstein's, if I'm yes, not mistaken. Yes, Aaron Sipperstein. Uh, the first person that introduced themselves to me in Queens was, I believe, councilwoman, now maybe council member, Melinda Katz, District 29? 29. 29. I think you were term limited. You went into private. And then you came back to be the Queens Borough President. And then last year you were elected as the Queens DA. I remember that day I walked in and I think you were trying to figure out what we were doing there. Right. Uh, I and I, I assured you that it was nothing nefarious. We were just trying to say hello <laughs> and wish you well and, and, and everything with the new job. Thank you. Well, it's a great memory and I appreciate you coming in. Looks like uh, you've done a lot better than I have. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're both doing okay. I hope so. I hope so. As I was telling you, this goes out to the general community. And I think it's important, especially in the heightened political awareness that we have. You know, it's interesting. There are people that were never involved politically, that this political season became very involved. And everybody's got an opinion. It's very interesting. It just, I think it's a good thing that in civics people are are more involved than they have been. But people that you would never think are involved in whatever it is, the political sphere, have now jumped in. So I think that's that's a good thing. It's always a good thing when there's more voices, more opinions, more people get to vote, especially we had an extremely high voter turnout across the country in this last election, but also in my election. A lot of people realize that every vote counts. And if there was one election that proved that, it was mine. <laughs> um, but, you know, the civic awareness and the, and the fact that we are facing a worldwide or faced a worldwide pandemic brings a lot of people to the table. I wanted to ask you uh, about your background. I know sure. you're from Queens. Born and bred in the borough of Queens County, my father was founder and director of the Queens Symphony Orchestra. He came all the way from Mishawaka, Indiana. I'm not sure how many Jewish families there were back then in Mishawaka, Indiana, but he came from there. His parents came from Hungary and Romania. Oh. Opened up a, a sort of packy store, as they call it, liquor store, food. Uh, and then he came here to go to Juilliard and was set up with my mother by his landlord, believe it or not. And they got married, and the rest is history. They moved to Jackson Heights and then Forest Hills. Sure. And they bought a house in Forest Hills, and I am raising my two children in the very house that they raised me. Wow. So uh, Jackson Heights is an old Jewish community, a bunch of shuls back in the day. Back in the day, it was. And, and I have some great pictures from back then of Jackson Heights and, and of them. my parents. But they really settled in 1953 in Forest Hills in my house. My two kids are raised in the same bedrooms that I was raised in. They yell at me from the same, you know, bench in the same bedroom that I was raised in. 
you know, very different reaction these days than it was back then when you yell at your kids, <laughs> when yes, your kids yell at you, I should say. <laughs> um, but and, they look, don't, and they don't care about what your position is. Yes, that, that is true. I still do the laundry and cook dinner. <laughs> we are a family that was raised in community service. My father founded the Queen's Symphony, like I said. My mother founded the Queen's Council on the Arts. We were a, a very Queen's family, my father believed that you didn't have to get culture by going across a bridge or under a tunnel. You should be able to do it right here in Queens County. My brothers, uh, you know, we all remember the Forest Hills Jewish Center, grew up with uh, Rabbi Boxer and now Rabbi Skolnick. We have a long history here, and I'm just honored to be able to be in this position. And it would go without saying that when I was a kid, by the way, younger, Claire Shulman and Judge Brown were the two icons of the borough. For me to have replaced both of them, I have to tell you, has been a remarkable twist in my life. That's, that's fascinating. Do you play an instrument, by the way? I play guitar, piano, clarinet, trumpet, and Sorry, I, 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 I like to sing. The only instruments I've picked up in the last few years has been the piano and singing, and wow. I do like singing very much. And you, you play on a regular basis? I play piano on a semi-regular basis. Wow, I, you okay. know, I that's actually great. just donated, believe it or not, we have a concert D grand piano in my living room that my father got from CBS in the 1950s. I don't know how many of your listeners remember this, and I'm sure a lot of them do. My dad you know, did the concerts at Queens College at Colden Center, and I actually just donated last year the grand piano to Colden Center, so they will have a plaque to my dad, and I'm very honored that, that they allowed me to do that. <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting <laughs> so I've not told anybody that. You are the first. Wow. Okay. That's wonderful. <laughs> not only are you involved in, in civics, politics, but also, on this, you know, you have, you have a passion of music. Do the kids, do they get lessons? Do they play anything? We sing. Uh, that's what we do together. Uh, we sing. I think these days, my, my oldest one wanted to start piano lessons and then COVID arose. Yeah. So we will see what happens with that. But they sing and they love music and we dance and that's good. Uh, we have a great time. Good. A lot of happiness. A lot of, I'm very, I am very blessed. Thank God. From so them. I know that uh, I know we we've known you for many years, as I said earlier, and then uh, your your relationship with the Jewish community on the on the local level goes back many many years. It goes back a lot of years. It goes back with my family. Clearly, uh, in a, it's a conservative shul, as you know. But my relationship with the Orthodox community has been extremely strong for for I don't know twenty years, thirty years. And you know, one of the things that I think has always been been a, been a great thing was I'm in the community, right? I, I shop at Seasons. I you know, I used to go to the Kew Garden Synagogue all the time, you know, like being in the community, right? Going to the Queen's Jewish Community Council well, uh, and having a great relationship with them, going, stopping in at the VOD yeah. uh, to meet the new executive director, you know, our president. You know, things of that nature brings a familiarity. And I think that familiarity is important. Uh, you know, from my perspective, it builds a trust that you don't always have with elected officials is when you're around and part of the neighborhood, but also there when there's hard times. I mean, during the Intifada, you know, we, we worked hard together when I was a council member in a lot of the rallies and the protests and being very outspoken. And I think that that, that brings a relationship that I've treasured. And the funny thing is I treasure, not always in agreement of everything, but you know, I had a constituent once that said to me, you know, I don't agree with you on this, I don't agree with you on that, but you know what, I haven't agreed with my, my wife in 30 years. <laughs> I think, though, that there's that relationship, hopefully, at least on my end, with the community of trust. Let me ask you professionally, how, how have you found it going from a council member to borough president and then now in law enforcement? I mean, I know you're an attorney. Uh, I've been an attorney for 1990, a lot of years. A lot of years, yeah. <laughs> over, over 30 years, I was a private practitioner for... Uh, I don't know what it is, eight to 10 years, eight to nine years at this point, 10 years maybe. I was a council member, an assembly member. The interesting thing about 
being in the assembly is I'm now prosecuting people under laws that I drafted when I was an assembly member. For instance, the sexual abuse of children, you know, it was my law that told uh, the age so that a child could outcry, we call it, uh, 18 plus 5 at 23 years old. When I was in the assembly, you had to tell within five years. So if someone was abusing you and you were five years old, if you didn't tell by the time you were 10, that person got off scot-free. Um, you know, I changed to that. We, we, we passed laws on endangerment of the welfare of a child. And, you know, life turns around and comes around. I think the district attorney needs to be a very good lawyer. That's what the district attorney needs to be. Especially, you know, it's, it, I became the, lawyer, the, the DA two and a half months into my administration, COVID hit. And there's no greater asset that I used than my ability to organize an office. We have 700 people in this office. And in the end of February, we saw grand jurors starting to not show up. Uh, and by March 1st or so, you know, we were already on the hunt for, for hundreds of computers to make sure that we could do our jobs from home, so that we could do arraignments from an office that was safe for people, so that we could have this office continue to run while still developing. So. I think that, you know, the, the fact that I was never a career prosecutor was probably, I hate to say it, my greatest asset during this time because you need a steady hand. You need to make sure you can think outside the box in a time of, of world that's never happened before. And while we were doing all that, by the way, we created a hate crimes bureau that had never existed on its own. We created a human sex trafficking bureau that had never existed on its own. We created a conviction integrity unit. We created a bureau of housing and work protection. So, you know, a, a violent criminal enterprise bureau, which I like to call guns, gangs, and drugs, but I got outvoted on my staff for naming it that. So we call it the Violent Criminal Enterprise Bureau, and we've taken down gun rings. So in addition to making sure this office runs, I've used many of the offices that I've had in the past and many of the jobs I've had in the past to make sure that we are advancing. So all your experiences really come together. They come together. For the, for the betterment of the, of the office and the borough. For what it's worth, I believe that I'm in the right place at the right time. Oh, absolutely. We believe that That's as well. That's just my own, you know, yeah, wait, wait. especially with COVID hitting, you know, and the organizational skills that had to happen and thinking outside the box the way it had to happen. You know, I'm honored. That's all. Along those lines of COVID, how, how do you feel that, uh, you know, the DA's office has been able to meet the challenges? What, what, what have been the challenges? And, you know, I can't imagine it's been easy to, to get out there and the police department getting out there doing what they have to do with this pandemic, bringing people in, yeah. arraigning people, you know, getting them off the streets. I can't imagine it's been easy. Well, it hasn't been easy for anybody. I mean, so there's two ways, right? One is personal and one is, is professional. For everyone who is at this office, there's 700 people, like I said, there's 350 lawyers. For everyone here, everyone's got children and parents and family that they're worried about and that they're taking care of and, and that they have responsibilities that are personal. But at the same time, we are the DA's office and we cannot shut down. You know, we are arraigning people every single day. If you get arrested, you have a, a right to have a, a grand jury indictment in the, in the first 144 hours or 100, depending on when you get arrested. Responsibilities have to go. You have to be arraigned within 24 hours. And ADAs have been here every single day and night to make sure that those responsibilities have not waned. It, it has been different for everyone. I have to tell you, though, I can't imagine what it's like to have to hold down a nine to five uh, and not be able to not show up at work at times because your children are doing homeschooling or whatever it is. So I consider myself very lucky to be able to do this. You know, but I think homeschooling and, and all of that has been just, it's been a hard year, 2020. Right, well, 
And as you're saying that as a parent as well. I'm saying that as a parent as well. In the department, you know, my kids go to public school. We do Hebrew school on Sundays. We're doing that virtual as well. You know, my kids are sitting in front of computers you know, hours a day. I mean, it's no way for a child to be. And it is heartbreaking. Aside, uh, aside from not being with their friends. Aside from not being with their friends, but also the learning and the one-on-one. And I think teachers are doing an amazing job with the circumstances they're given. It's, it's a year where children socially are not socializing, which is, has more of an effect than just like being with their friends, right? It's, you're like leaving behind a generation that's going to have to catch up. You know, kids are resilient, thank God. Yeah. The rise of anti-Semitism, we talked about the hate crimes unit that you founded, which is, which is so important because I, I remember as a kid growing up, and then even not so long ago, probably when you were a kid as well, you know, oh, you know, you heard something, maybe you heard something derogatory about being a Jew or whatever else it was. Okay, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And now the society has come around and said, no, words do hurt, and words are painful. And can you talk about, you know, the rise of anti-Semitism, really the rise of hate and, and uh, what the office right. is doing and, and how we're going to combat it? And my real question is also, like, wh- where do you see this coming from? Like, why, why, is this, why is this proliferating the way it is? Do you have an opinion on that? I do. I think that there is a wrongfully different bar for hate speech. And I think that that bar should still be that people you know, need to treat each other fair and equitable. And I think that that bar shouldn't change. I think that bar should be, we don't accept it from people in public. And I will tell you that in my household, I don't accept it in private either. So we are at the dinner table and someone, you know, says something they don't understand or has a question about something. I sit and I explain it to my children so that they understand, you know, George Floyd happened in, 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 in eight months ago, I guess it was at this point, nine months ago. You know, I spent time talking to my children about what I felt and how I viewed the situation. And it was no secret, uh, you know, I was out at some of the rallies. I think that that's important. And when there are anti-Semitic acts in the borough of Queens County, we are there. And the hate crimes unit is there because no one, no one should not report it. And everyone should feel protected. I think, though, that we need to start really internalizing the fact that words matter and how people view the word world matters and so look we take care of our little portion of the world and are outspoken when we know that something's not right you know we uh, rally when we think it's wrong and and we hear prosecute when there are hate crimes well as you know in, in jewish law uh, sp- uh, speech talking to, speaking derogatory lashon hara moti shemra is a whole body of work uh, of jewish halakhic work um, that, that discusses speaking derogatorily, speaking bad to people, about people, for people. So it's not, it's not a new concept, but uh, when it gets, it's not a new concept in, the, in Jewish law, in Jewish thought, uh, but in, in society, it's, it's good to see catching up. And, and, uh, and it is, it, and it's a little frustrating on my part because, yes, in Halakha, we, we talk about it and we, we, we study it and we know it. You can't always prosecute it. Our job is that when it gets beyond that, that we are here to make sure that people are accountable for their actions. And that's important. This podcast is sponsored by Teva Media. Now, you're asking me, who's Teva Media? Teva Media provides a wide range of online marketing services to a wide variety of businesses, nonprofits, and e-commerce brands. Are you looking to rank higher on Google searches, optimize your social media, increase your website sales, or even improve the management of your website? Whatever marketing services you need, Noah and his team at Teva Media have it handled. Now let me tell you about Teva Media. We here at the Bada Bottom of Queens were clients, longtime clients of Teva Media, 
and I can tell you personally that their quality of service is out of this world. When I first spoke to Teva Media for social media, they were very thorough in helping us design a compelling strategy to help engage our community and keep them up to date with the good work of our great organization. They stepped up, and to this day, they work wonders for our social media, email blast, and website management. Now, you want to take the next step. You want to optimize your business, and you want to make sure that you're getting everything you can in this digital era, especially with the advent of COVID-19 and the way communication is done today. So book a free consultation at tevamedia.com. Teva Media, T-E-V-A-H-M-E-D-I-A, all one word, dot com. You know, get it, Noah, Teva Media. Or call Noah at 917-675-0924. Mention Vodcast for a discount on your first 90 days. Teva Media, helping you ride the digital wave. The second thing I want to talk to you about, and this is a little bit more maybe sensitive, and I know your office does the best job that they can, is the bail reform. A little background. In New York City, uh, for those that don't know, New York State actually, you know, the, the Assembly passed a sweeping bill. Was it this year or last year? I can't even remember anymore. It's it was January COVID. 1st of last year. Yeah. You know, with COVID, everything, like, you know, runs into... Everything, right. We, they changed the law twice, actually. Yes. Uh, you know, I can't speak for other communities, but I know in our community, especially in the Orthodox community, uh, we view it as something which is a little bit draconian in that... Uh, maybe maybe because uh, the, the newspapers make a field day of it, but there seems to be uh, this, at least public perception, that people are on the streets who shouldn't be, and that are maybe uh, maybe the system is being a little too lenient with them, which provides a a problem with public safety. So, my question to you is, uh, you know, without 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 getting too detailed, but how do you view that? Is it a challenge? How do you view it? And and what can you do to reassure? You know the DA's office to reassure us that, not that we're that nervous, but it's concerning that uh, this is something which is under control. So just like just to back up a little bit, so on January 1st of last year, there was legislation which made qualifying and unqualifying offenses, right? So if you're unqualifying offenses, you couldn't get bail, and someone got out on their own recognizance or with some sort of supervised release. If it was a qualifying offense uh, or crime you were able to get bail. So what they did is they said any nonviolent crime or misdemeanor couldn't get bail as of January 1st. The law since changed. So, you know, a lot of those uh, cases that you read about in the newspaper, right? You know, they come in, they go out, they come in, they go out. For recidivists, we call them. The, bail, the law did change where you can get bail on a lot of those right now. I, I will tell you that I am not a believer of bail, of cash bail. You know, like Jersey and the feds, they do it differently. And they use dangerousness, especially Jersey, uh, and in all the other states, except for us. Only 48 states use dangerousness as part of the bail ask, right? So it's not only about assuring that someone shows up at court. It's also making an argument in court about whether or not the defendant is dangerous. And, and I think that that's a little bit lost in our system, truthfully. And I think, you know, so we, we do try our best to make sure that people show back up in court. I have lowered the bail asks in general. It hasn't seemed to have affected the safety of the borough at all. And I am trying to, to get so that, when, that we can do something better. Nobody ever comes out of Rikers better than when they went in. Nobody ever does. If they have trouble with drugs, it manifests itself there. If they have mental health illness, it's worse there. If all of these things don't get better. So in the end of the day, I would love to see us having programs instead of cash bail. It doesn't really help much. Um, but right now, the only tools we have are those bails, and we are using it when we have to. If I understand you correctly, 
the issue is not once the once once the crime has happened. The issue was really way before. No, the issue. So 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 a crime gets committed. You come. No, I'm, in. I'm talking about the, the the alleged perpetrator. Are you talking about programs? No, what I'm saying is that, you know, bail is used right now in New York State to make sure that defendants show back up in court. Right. I would argue that while they're waiting to show back up in court, many can be uh, helped with some mental health illness okay. treatment or some drug rehab treatment and things of that nature. But right now, the tools are sort of limited in New York State, and we still use bail. I'm trying to get to a point where that's not the only option. I think what you're talking about is trying to get to people before they even end up in our system. And right. we are trying to do that too. I'm a DA that came in for a steady hand at a time, and by the way, I never realized what kind of time it would be, at a time when the world is looking for some predictability uh, and steadiness. I didn't prosecute for curfew violations, and I do not prosecute for social distancing. but. You bring a gun into my borough, you sell them to my kids, I'm not only prosecuting you, I'm finding you, I'm prosecuting, and you're going to get convicted. So it's a steady hand, I think, that's needed, and, and that's where I'm trying to be. Someone, someone, uh, you have an alleged perpetrator, he's, 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 uh, he's arrested. So what you're proposing, what you'd like to see is that in that interim time, something is done for him, or something, he, he enters some sort of treatment. So well, wouldn't it, that? So my question is, yeah. my question is, wouldn't that tax the system? In other words, you know, we want to have as little little assailants as possible. But wouldn't that tax us? Can the system absorb that? You know? So right now, this is what happens. I'm, ta you, I'm talking about financially. I'm yeah. talking about staff-wise. And so right now, this is what happens. Someone gets arrested. They stand up for an arraignment. They either get, if it's a qualifying offense. What does, what does that mean? It means so if 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 it's a bailable offense, it's one that you can ask for bail on. You can get bail. They can either pay the bail or not. If they can't pay the bail, they go to Rikers. That taxes the system As well. when they're at Rikers. Uh, when they come out of Rikers, they're not better than when they go in. It's just a fact. You're not coming out of there better. And so I think there's different ways of saying that you want to save money in the system. One of the ways to save money is to make sure that if they do end up in our system, they don't come back. And so I think that there's a balance there that we are trying to reach. I will tell you that right now that tool is not available anyway. Right. Uh, I, I am trying no, to get it's a, it's there. It's a fascinating approach. Yeah, it's an approach that says it's not only about showing back up at court. It's about showing back up at court a better person and seeing if you can do that. It's not always going to be possible. Look, we have arrests here with people that have gotten arrested three times in the last 10 years. They're predicate felons, mandatory predicate felons, that you know they're not going to be able to get these programs in general. But for the most part, it would be nice to have that tool. But right now what happens is... If it's a bailable offense, that's really the tool we have at hand. And then the, then that person will be there until he can meet Bill. Until he can meet Bill, or he's remanded. And that probably hasn't been that easy at this time either. No, but my, my view of this is, is this. In the old administration, at times, they would, they would ask for like $200,000 in bail, right? Because people normally couldn't make that. Right. My, my reaction to that is, aren't you really just saying that you believe that he should be remanded? or she should be remanded. And so that's given us, and that's really how we've looked at this, that if we believe someone should be remanded, we should ask for it. And if not, we should give a bail that they can afford, because that is actually the law, number one. Right. And number two, it's the right thing to do. It's bail that they can afford to show up at the court, and then they show up at court like they're supposed to. Do we have time for one more question? Sure. Okay, I know you're busy. Thank no, you so much fine. for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for taking a lot of time to explain that.
Anytime. Appreciate that. So I've uh, had the great fortune of also being a member of the Jewish Advisory Council. Yes. In the DA's office with um, Lois Raff, who used to work in this office. Uh, you are also bringing it back. I know what my experience has been. It's been a really, really tremendous tool for the community, and I know that you're restarting it. How do you view the Jewish Advisory Council? What is it that you want, the message you want to get out to the community with the council and, and just in general to, to, the, to, to the borough? So I don't know if you remember the first week I was here or the first two weeks I was here, we had some real violence across the country. Like I said, that was, that was PC, pre-COVID. Yeah, that was, PC, <laughs> that was pre-COVID. But really within two or three days, I had the commissioner in my office of police, Dermot Shea. I believe you might have been here. Yes, actually, uh, I was. You were here. I was here, yeah. And we had sat right here. We had most of the Jewish yeah. leaders in the room to talk about safety at our shuls. And, you know, it was a way for me to, to really start by showing and, and by actually doing something with the community that, that meant something. And the safety of our shuls um, at that time were really in question. Uh, we were talking about, can, you know, I mean, there are arguments, right? Can you bring guns into a shul? Right. Can you, yes. you know, is, have we reached that point yet? All this kind of stuff, all those questions were happening. I mean, I know there's always questions happening, but those were questions of the time. So the advisory council, I, I want to be viewed as something like that, right? Where there's real issues that are coming up in all the communities. And I am trying to make it, by the way, across the board. Right, secular, orthodox, conservative. Yes, yes. I noticed that. I noticed that on the website. I am. I am doing my best to bring everyone. I also noticed that you have advisory councils for many other different segments of the community, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, and I think I'm trying to express my my view that this is one borough, right? And and if one of our our shuls are, are having issues, you know, we should all stand up for one another, and we should all be there. So the advisory council does that, but it's also my way of sort of giving an outlet for people to get to know my staff. We have a lot of people who work here that wanted to be part of the advisory council and form relationships with the Jewish community. And so it works both ways, right? It works, you know, you, you as the advisory council can give me issues that we're dealing with or that need to be dealt with that we might not know about, but it's also our way of disseminating information. And yes, we have advisory councils for the South Asian community, the African American community, the East Pacific community. We have a lot of them. That's wonderful. It's, it's great. It's important that like I said earlier, that everybody be involved in civics and be involved in uh, local, with the local officials. You know, I, I, I go back to when I was a kid. I remember uh, there, were, there, was very, there were very few people that really had anything to do with electeds growing up in the 80s. You know, there were like, especially in our community, there were like a few people and they, they knew a few people. And right. if you wanted to get something somewhere, you know, whatever it was, you know, you had to talk to him. But uh, the beauty of politics today, uh, maybe because the world is so interconnected, is that our electeds are, make themselves available to anybody. You're, yourself, you know, you lead, you, lead, you lead the charge. You know, Rory Lansman, who just stepped down and now he took a job. I know that he's been a friend to the community for many years, but he's always available. And, and really, they're all Dan Rosenthal, everybody who's, yeah. who's in our you know, orbit over here really make themselves available and tremendously for the community. And like you said, we don't always agree. And uh, what did Kat, uh, Mayor Kotz say? If you if you agree with me, ten out of ten, see a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, we uh, yeah, I think that's right. I think modern technology also has helped to that, right? We could always contact each other, and and even if we don't contact each other, we seem to always know how we feel because we have yeah. Twitter and Facebook and all of that. And my email, just on that note, is cats at queensda.org. Oh wow, thank you. Cats at queensda.org. It does go to me uh, and two other people, but it goes right to my phone. So anybody who would like to reach out certainly has a, a direct line of communication. And many from the community, just so you know, you know, has already reached out quite a bit. And that's okay, because at least, you know, I know what we can do to help. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it. What's your favorite kosher food? 
<laughs> yeah. I'm not going to ask you which restaurant on Main Street, but. You know, there's a you reason you, I keep getting like elected. <laughs> I don't answer questions like that. No, I look, on Main Street, I happen to shop at Seasons, as most people know, because I see them a lot. It's the favorite fried chicken of my children. Oh, wow, great. Uh, they love the fried chicken from there. But also, I, I shop for most of my things there. I love Annie's for Chinese food. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, the grill point is, is, is great. I mean, I go down the road, and, you know, it's just. And we, and we got enough pizza shops to. And you got enough pizza. Look, you can't. You can't beat Queen's Pita also. is great. And and the pizza, you know, the, the falafels are great there. The pizza shop next door to Seasons. So, look, it's, it's a great place to go. I love going there just because I get to talk to people and find out what's going on in the neighborhood as well. And and the familiarity is a nice thing for me, I have to say. For me and my kids, you know. Yeah. We, we walk the, the street and see friends. Feel a part of, the, feel a part of the, the neighborhood, the community. Yeah, I think that's a great thing. Well, I don't want to take any more of your time on behalf of myself, the VOD, and, and the community. Thank you so much for your for your time and everything you do and for being such a great friend. And personally, thank you for all you've done, personally personally, and uh, organizationally and, and community-wise. And uh, we know that you'll continue to do a great job. I wish everyone a very happy new year for 2021. I wish everyone safety and health, happiness, but most importantly, health. You know, wear our yeah. masks, keep everyone healthy. Another few months to the, you know. We're, we're almost there. We're, almost, we're there. almost there. We're almost there. So, you know, I'm looking forward to a, a good a good year. All right, God willing. You. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send us an email at vhq at queensvod.org. Again, that's vhq at queensvod.org. Please feel free to subscribe at queensvod.org and to receive all of our content including the vodcast the weekly Shabbos podcast and our newsletter and for updates and news thank you and have a great day